Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of A Little Wiser. I'm here with my friend and producer, Erica Gerard. Hi, Erica. Hello, Kimmy. We are going to talk about, well, who knows, because these episodes are <laughs> very fluid. <laughs> but the plan is to talk about last week's episode with Maddie Ferenza, and which is our first episode of the final season, every time we say it, it's weird, of All the Wiser. And I'm excited to talk about it because, A, I don't know that I've told you the backstory. Oh, no, you haven't. But you told me that you need to tell me. Because sometimes how we find these interviews is a story within itself. Yeah, yeah. No, tell me. Back it way up to high school. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. It's not going to be that long of a story. (laughs) I went to high school in Santa Barbara, California, and... I had a friend, Heath Kelly, and Heath was adorable. He was very, very handsome and good looking. All the ladies loved him. And he was Did just. Did you love him? Um, no, he was dating one of my best friends. So I just oh, loved okay. to her through loving him. Yeah. You loved him from afar. No, I just supported her and her love of him. But he was really beautiful to look at. Got it. And he was just handsome and had like some edge and he was creative and I always loved him and thought he was great. Time moves on. We didn't stay in touch. We weren't super close friends, but someone I always really liked and ran into him in San Francisco. He was a firefighter in San Francisco. I knew just from social media that he was married and had a daughter who was adorable. And at some point, he emailed me super early on in All the Wiser, and I don't remember how, I'm sure it was like a DM or through social media, and said, A, I was surprised that he even listened to All the Wiser or knew what I was doing, but clearly he knew about the show or was listening, and said, I really think that you should do a story on PTSD and first responders. I've really been struggling, and I, I think he had gotten back from a retreat and was really hopeful and energized that people were talking about it and there was ways to get help. And he sent me the information on this guy he thought I should reach out to. And for whatever reason at the time, we may have pursued it, but it didn't turn into an episode or it didn't really go anywhere. And about a year ago, I found out that Heath died. He, He passed away. So after he, I found out that he had died, I became obsessed with understanding this issue of PTSD and first responders because I always knew about PTSD and veterans. I really had not thought deeply about EMTs, about law enforcement, about firefighters. And that was clearly what Heath wanted me to do as a storyteller and a journalist was there's this thing that's happening. It's happening to me. I think you should talk about it on your podcast. So when I found out that he had died as a result of this pain and suffering, it was like, I have to tell this story on All the Wiser. And Tara, 
and I, our associate producer, Tara, we work on finding these stories and we just went hard. We were reaching out to different organizations who work with first responders, um, doing research. She came across a documentary about PTSD and first responders, got to the director of the film. He said, you should interview one of the subjects in the film, introduce us to Maddie. Maddie comes to my house. We do the interview in person, which I love these in-person interviews. And at the end, he just kind of says, like, yeah, how'd you even think to do this or whatever? I said, I actually had a friend from high school, and I tell him the story I just told you. His name was Heath Kelly, and his face just... So he had met... No. He knew him? He knew him. Wow. And he had talked to him. He had talked to him and checked in on him the week before he died. How? Oh, my God. They that had met... eerie. Yes. So they had they had met in these support groups because they had this shared experience. And so the second I said his name, he just like and he said, yeah, I, I, you know, checked in with him the week before. And I was like, I just got chills. Oh, my gosh. So that's how I found Maddie, which was crazy. Um, That's amazing. Wow. Mm -hmm. Isn't that crazy? It was meant to be. I know. And it allowed me to have, I just, a new perspective and new compassion and empathy for police officers, for EMTs, for firefighters, and how much trauma and hurt and death and violence and suffering they see and that we've never really addressed the fact that may be really hard for some people. I know. After working on this episode, I'm like, how is this not regular dialogue that we're having in this country about the trauma that our first responders are carrying? I mean, you're right. When you think about PTSD, the first thing that comes to your mind is veterans. And you think, oh, sure, of course, they're abroad. They're having to see war up close. They're seeing all this death and destruction up close. Of course, they're traumatized. Maybe they've even had to kill someone themselves. And we take for granted that our police officers, firefighters, and EMTs They are dealing with this stuff every single day they're seeing it up close. For decades and decades, some of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For decades. Yeah. I remember the part in the episode where Maddie was describing what he saw in a single night. And it was horrifying. I mean, yeah, it was like, oh, you know, this person was robbed and shot and I had to keep stepping over their dead body to get to the other person. And then I went to this old folks home and there's dead people there. And then this teenage girl was delivering a dead baby and I had to help with that. Oh, and then I had to go to sleep and take a nap, but then I had to wake up and go. I was like, I would have quit immediately. (laughs) Yeah. Like you just said, like, why, why, why haven't we talked about this? Why haven't we... And I haven't spent a 
ton of time around firefighters, but I've done a couple of stories where I've spent time in firehouses, and it's a real machismo culture, or it's a real masculine culture, right? It's Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, like, men and working out and basketball. Cooking is a huge part of it, which I always find fascinating, and food, which is really cool, and doesn't seem to be the type of space or environment, um, and hopefully this is changing with people like Maddie sharing his story, where there's even, I would imagine in most firehouses, talking about it, processing it, or saying I'm, I'm really struggling, doesn't, it doesn't seem like that would just be the, be the natural way, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, Oof, the weight of that expectation to just be able to handle whatever comes at you and metabolize it and just carry on. First of all, I mean, that's incredibly toxic. (laughs) But it's also part of setting the culture of the room, the profession, the, um, the community. And there's, it's very clear that there needs to be a culture change within the first responder community. I guess what I was left with at the end of the day was like, these guys don't really have a lot of places to turn to. Yes. They really yes. don't. Yes. And it was shocking to me. I I guess I was just, I would have thought that there would have been more resources, more programs, more outlets we should be throwing all kinds of mental health and wellness programs at these like folks. Per- preventative, on the front end, yeah. supportive when they need it for all of them. Because these are the people that we need to save us, to protect us, to serve us. Like at the drop of a hat, when the unthinkable happens, right? These are the people who are going to show up and it doesn't make any sense to me why we wouldn't want those people to be as healthy and whole as they could be, like why we wouldn't invest in that on every end. And it seems like there's just a complete lack there of of that, or at least that there has been in Maddie's experience. And I don't know how much things are changing, but this feels like a new conversation and something that hasn't really been talked about or addressed. Absolutely. And, you know, the part of his story where he is in a full-blown mental health crisis and he's behind a dumpster and the cops, he calls the cops and this was his kind of plan to take his own life and in a way, right? And Instead, the deputies that arrived, they shut their body cameras off and they spent 45 minutes talking him down and talking with him. And it just made me think of all the people who don't get that, who don't get that privilege and things end up getting violent. And, you know, I think there's an awareness now that mental health calls are to be handled differently but not 
I mean, not so much, right? It's it doesn't seem. But like you that's need somebody the... showing up on the scene who is mentally well and emotionally well. Yes, like, yes. You if, need... and if they're not mentally well, they're not going to respond in a compassionate Correct. way. Correct. So we need the funding and resources and support to make sure the people that we send out are physically, emotionally, and mentally fit, right? Right, because it's not something you can just turn on and off when you need to. It's not, you know, PTSD, when you're in the grips of it is, I he described it as like when he was in the Save a Warrior program and he was looking around the room, you remember? And he was like, everyone was just PTSD'd out. Like they're just staring at walls just in a different place. I also love the part when he talked about he was in the process of being followed for a documentary on PTSD and first responders and his quote unquote character in the documentary. It was about the journey of this man who was on the other side and, you know, was healing right. and had gotten through. And then he relapses right. like, in the middle of filming. Right. And he talks about being terrified to call the filmmaker and the director I mean, I knew even before he started finishing the end of the story that any journalist or filmmaker would be like, come on, come on <laughs> in. This this is storytelling. It's real. It's raw. It's human. You know what I mean? Was not going to say, okay, well, we're going to stop filming with you now that you've... But just from a storytelling perspective that I also think is important for this podcast is that because we always land on hope and possibility that so often these any journey of healing, of recovery, of all the things that he went through is not a linear process. No. And he, and that's important, right? To to remind ourselves of. Um, but for some reason that really stood out to me about when he relapses and has this moment that he's going to let down this filmmaker. And in fact, you know, it's it's true and deeply important that we remember that can we talk about the amen clinic and this brain spec scan <gasps> that he did forgot about that that was crazy and i want to try it i know it's uh, and then i mean truly we could have done a whole episode on this treatment this stella ganglion block explain for anyone who didn't listen to, to that part. Not that anyone would ever not listen to the entirety of the interview, but in the <laughs> event that they have paused and have not gotten through the whole thing, tell, share what we're talking about. So after another suicide attempt, Maddie checked himself into a psychiatric hospital, and then he was just desperate for answers at this point and kind of through some connections and alignment of all of these angels in his life, he was given a scholarship to do a, a very niche scan called a brain spect scan at this place called the Amen Clinic. And I guess the jury is still out in the medical world about these brain spect scans, but the one that Maddie did showed the doctors that he had a traumatic brain injury and that inside of his 
basal ganglia was a bundle of nerves that were just essentially on fire. And that's it, it gave an explanation biologically and physiologically as to what was going on with him. So the treatment for this that he also was given a scholarship to do was is called a Stella ganglion block. And essentially what that is, they give you a shot, basically, in your neck. Yeah, the shot itself sounded horrible. Oh, it sounds horrifying. It goes through the front of your neck. I yeah. mean, woof. But he said as soon as he got that shot, it was like, you know, it. I imagine it was kind of the same moment like when Ariel from The Little Mermaid gets legs <laughs> after being a fish. It's like, oh, you know, it was life changing. Yes, yes, it was like it sounded like yeah, ecstasy or something like he uh, yes. just was so free from all of his emotional pain and and torment he was living in just like this complete release and and freedom but again it was temporary this was not like oh i'm cured and now i will walk through the rest of my life with complete ease and no suffering right right but it but it lasted for a long time it was i think he said he felt relief for like a year, right? Yeah, yeah. I I can't remember the duration, but that piece of the interview was yeah, very fascinating, and I wonder how much of these treatments will actually come to fruition and be affordable and readily available and if and when that will happen. Yeah. It would kind of be game-changing, right? There's it's a risky treatment. I think that's why part of the reason it's not so widely available because there are some pretty serious risks. I think droopy face is one of them. But for some people who are just at their at rock bottom, like Maddie, he was willing to do anything. I mean, he was willing to take that risk and it, it really paid off for him. But yeah, I, I was reading that this is a, a very promising new treatment for PTSD, and that's exciting. Yeah, it's hard to mass market a treatment that has a high risk of droopy face for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to work on work on that piece of it. Well, I just i I found him to be very endearing and. I continue to just be in complete awe of people's ability to persevere. Yeah. The amount of times that he was knocked back down, literally, and had to get back up again and again and again, and my guess is continues to, is it's it's incredible. It is incredible, and it it's it is also very inspiring and hopeful to realize that help can come from the most unusual and unexpected places. The people that kind of showed up for him and, and helped him, it wasn't necessarily his 
his BFFs and his ride or dies. It wasn't necessarily other firefighters. It was one of the dispatchers on the phone and some guy that he used to, I mean, it was so heartening to know that there are people in this world who aren't going to be turned off by your suffering and that who, who have compassion. And I don't think he would have made it without those people around. And he was so good at, which not all people are, recognizing those people and calling them out. He was really, not everyone does that, right? Gives, acknowledges the the role and the and the value. I mean, he, he consistently said, and there she was, or he was, and, you know, an angel at this moment. He was really good at expressing and acknowledging grati- gratitude and recognition for all those people. Because I don't think that's probably yes. true of everyone who goes through something and has the nurse or the EMT driver. He was he was really aware of that. I don't know. I feel like you never forget those people. Like they're just imprinted on your brain. I remember when I was, I don't know, maybe, I remember when I, Paco, I'm trying to tell a heartfelt story about my depression. Can you give me a moment? I was just in a very, very dark place and the most random person showed up for me from my synagogue and I will never forget that, you know? I think those are the people that are seared into your brain, perhaps. Yes, I totally agree. So maybe we'll end on that. We always like to give a little challenge. If there is somebody that you remember who left that imprint on you when you needed it most, Mm -hmm. a small act, even if it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you know how to get, get to them, whatever that looks like, and send a text or a DM or an email or a phone call to thank and acknowledge them. I think that's what I would love for our listeners to think about, if that makes sense for their life and their story. Yes, I think that's a really great challenge. And so I would I would like to thank Samuel Chu, who was that person for me. So thank you, Samuel. You really showed up for me when I needed somebody. And I will never forget that. I'm going to thank Dr. Antonio Wood, who was this incredible doctor that I worked with. Uh, in my early 20s who was just gave me so much hope at such a young age so Hmm. I'll I'll have to to figure out how to track him down and send him the end of this episode yes yes so if you've had somebody show up and it doesn't need to be it can be anything right somebody a neighbor anyone who showed up for you and you have yet to acknowledge or thank them. We're taking Maddie's lead, and we hope you'll join us. Yes. And just to close with Maddie's words that he shared on the show, we need you on this planet. Everybody has a purpose, and there's life on the other side of this stuff. Amen, sister. I hope you... Erica is currently channeling an 85-year-old woman. She (laughs) slipped and fell on the ice and has 
taken up needlepoint. So Erica, it's true. All in one week. All in one week, things are yeah. headed in an unexpected direction. I'm embracing it, Kimmy. I'm going to send you the needlepoint kit as well. (laughs) (laughs) You can be right there with me. We will do needlepoint giveaways. Erica, take care of yourself. And to everyone listening, take care of yourself, take care of your people. And we hope you will take us up on our little challenge. All right. Bye, Erica. Have fun needlepointing.